Well, good morning, Hope Church. It's great to be with you, whether you're here in person or, uh, or online, as we uh, have a chance to dig into uh, to God's Word together. That is a thing of beauty. Have you ever said that? Have you ever heard it? What would cause you to say that phrase? That is a thing of beauty. Maybe some of you are nature lovers. So like maybe the Grand Canyon, right? That'd be a great place sitting on the rim of the Grand Canyon. That is a thing of beauty. Or, or the northern lights. Anybody have the privilege of seeing the northern lights? You know, I have a chance to work with uh, a lot of wood. Usually it's oak and walnut. Well, sometime this spring, a batch of walnut wood came through that was the most spectacular wood I've ever seen. It was so colorful and so rich. I mean, as I laid the pieces out and looked at them, it was almost like a, a rainbow. I mean, it was just absolutely beautiful. I thought, what a thing of beauty. This morning I want to share with you maybe four ways that God would describe a thing of beauty as we look in the, this little letter called Philemon. As we look at the four themes that kind of weave through this short letter. So I encourage you to, uh, to join me as I read this letter. It's only 25 verses, so we're going to read the whole book. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archibus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your house. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as, as, as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what, I, what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want anything to do, do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me and even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. 
And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow brother workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I want to begin with a tale of four men, because there are four key players in this letter. And the first is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is firm foremost, the most important. He is given the name Jesus by an angel to Joseph in a dream in Matthew 1. Jesus means for he will save his people from their sins. It's from the word Joshua. Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. It is the name, the precious name of Jesus our Savior. The second name is that of Christ, and it is not his second name. It is not his last name. <laughs> it's not Jesus Christ. It's Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ, which was a title, a title given of the anointed one, the appointed one, the chosen one, to be the Messiah. Not only the Savior of the world, but the ruler and the Lord of the universe. Jesus came and he put on flesh and dwelt among us so that he could represent us, choosing to go to the cross, taking our sin upon him and offering us his righteousness as the Savior of the world. But he is not only the Savior, he is the Lord. And so Paul mentions the Lord Jesus Christ 12 times in this short book. Six of those times, he uses the title Lord. Because Jesus, because of his resurrection, he was seated at the right hand of God. Ephesians 1 says he is above every power, every dominion, every rule. Philippians 2 says he has given the name above every name so that at his name, every knee will bow. So that in Colossians 1, Paul says, he might have the supremacy. Not only the supremacy in the universe, but the supremacy of our lives. And we'll find the three other men in this book came to accept Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. The second man is the apostle, and he is the author of this letter. And we know Paul was a Jewish leader who thought he was doing God a service by persecuting followers of this man, Jesus. Paul was heading to Damascus to persecute believers until one day his world was turned upside down where he saw Jesus in a bright light. And his life was changed. And you know what Jesus told Ananias? See, Ananias was going to go pray for Paul because Paul became blinded in the light. And so he was going to go pray. He said, this man, I'm going to bless him so much. I'm going to give him prosperity. I'm going to give him power. I'm going to give him popularity. You know what? Anything that he speaks and he wants, he's going to get. Whoops. No, that's prosperity gospel. <laughs> that's not true. You know what he did say? 
See, he's going to speak to the rulers of the nations on my behalf. But then he said this, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. How would you like that when you came to Christ? <laughs> but for Paul, he didn't see it as suffering, but a joy of serving Christ. So Paul wrote this letter while in prison. He had already shared to some of the rulers of the world, but now he's in prison because of Jesus. Have already spoken to the leaders now. He's influencing the house of Caesar as even while he's in prison. And so he writes this letter, the shortest and most personal of his letters. And it could be one of the most controversial because he writes about a slave. And I mentioned when we looked at uh, Ephesians in May that, that slavery in the Roman Empire was a little different than it was here. Half to a third people were slaves in the Roman Empire. Mostly they were political prisoners. So some still kept their, some still were doctors, accountants, owners uh, of companies that their masters helped them start. Most of them were well taken care of, and yet they were still owned. Paul could have done a revolution, but that most likely would not have turned out very well. Many would have probably lost their lives. But instead, as Christianity does, God begins in the heart. He transforms hearts. He transforms lives. He transforms the way that we treat people. And over time, even as we'll see in this letter, as people's relationships change, those who are masters and slaves began to treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and eroded the grip of slavery over the Roman Empire. Paul usually dictated his letters, but this one he writes by hand. And who does he write it to? He writes it to the third man, the recipient of this letter, Philemon. You know, I kind of wish I was Jamaican. Philemon, man. I would kind of like to just be able to say Philemon, but it's Philemon. A little more boring. <laughs> Most likely while Paul was on his second missionary journey, he was preaching in, in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. Ephesus, in the school of Tyrannius. And in Acts chapter 19, Luke makes this statement. All the people in Asia heard about Jesus. Isn't that an astounding statement? All the people in Asia. Well, Colossae was a nearby town where Philemon lived. And somehow Philemon hears about Jesus from the Apostle Paul. And it turns his world upside down. See, Philemon was a wealthy man. He had slaves. He had a, a big enough house that the church could meet in. Philemon came to love Jesus and love other believers. We read in this letter that we know that he, he refreshed the hearts of so many. Even while Paul was in prison, he heard about the love of Philemon and the faith that he had in Christ Jesus and the difference it was making in his life. He was a man who was using his position and his resources to serve Jesus. Paul considered him a partner in the gospel. The last man, his name is Onesimus. And uh, in our young adult group uh, a couple weeks ago, we were playing Bible Tribond. And one of our young ladies, Mallory, who now became Mallory Scott, she was in the first service. She got married last week. Uh, 
She, she was reading the clue, and she said, onesimus. <laughs> and maybe that's how you've pronounced it. And you know what? That's okay, because some of these Bible names are hard. You know, I just kind of run over and read them really quickly, and hopefully nobody notices when I mispronounce them. But onesimus, onesimus, she says, and she gave me permission to share that, so, so that's okay. But he was one of Philemon's slaves until the day that he kind of said, yeah, I had enough. And most likely he stole from Philemon and took off, and he went to Rome. In Rome, there was a large slave population. There was also a, a large ex-slave population. So it would have been easy for him to just kind of blend in and, and kind of have a low-key existence there. But you know what? God had other plans. And we're not sure exactly how, but somehow he encounters Paul, and he hears about Jesus, and his world is turned upside down. On one hand, he is a fugitive according to the law, but now, on the other, he becomes a child of God who is helping serve Paul while he's in prison. And we're not sure when the connection is made, but eventually the connection is made is that, that Onesimus' master is also Paul's partner in the gospel. Like, oh, the same guy? So Paul asks him to do our thing. To go back. So Paul pens this letter for Onesimus to take back to Philemon as he returns. Can you imagine that moment where Philemon, you know, opens the door and sees Onesimus standing there? Like, what? You came back? Who does that? I'm sure Onesimus was very quick to say, here, here's a letter from Paul. <laughs> Please read this before you do anything to me. But we see God working an amazing thing. What does God want to show us today from this very personal letter from Paul to Philemon that is still so very applicable to us today? Four themes that I see weaved into this letter that, that are applicable to our lives today. And the first is this. It's a beautiful picture of the power of the gospel. I mean, think about the difference these three men were from worldly standards. I mean, on one hand, you have Paul, a very religious man, a very devout man, zealous for God, and yet he was zealously wrong about Jesus. He was trying to make himself acceptable to God by his own righteousness, and he came to realize that that was impossible. As religious as he was, as, as many boxes of religion that he could check, it wasn't enough. Later he would write, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter. And the wages of sin is death. So Paul needed Jesus. And Jesus gave him a fresh start. A new life. A meaningful life. But think about, on the other hand, Philemon, a wealthy man, not a Jewish, he didn't grow up Jewish man, a wealthy man in the Roman Empire. According to world standards, he had it made. He had a beautiful house. He had slaves, probably plenty of money. But the kind of life where you are serving yourself, where you're thinking about 
yourself eventually does not satisfy. It does not satisfy the deepest longing of the heart to be connected to your Creator and to have a purpose larger than yourself for your life. He needed Jesus, and Jesus gave him a fresh start, a new life, a meaningful life. Think about Onesimus. Onesimus was a fugitive slave. He was a criminal. According to the world, he was pretty much worthless. He had no rights. He had made some pretty poor choices. A criminal who was worthy of death according to Roman law. In those days, there were slave hunters who would brand runaway slaves with a big letter F on their foreheads, fugitive, as they took them back to their masters. And most likely, they would be killed as an example toward other slaves. But instead, God interrupts his life. And on one hand, he was probably branded or sealed now by the Holy Spirit. F standing for forgiven. Forgiven in Christ. You see, he needed Jesus. And Jesus gave him a fresh start. A new life. A meaningful life. Martin Luther wrote that we are all Onesimuses in some regard, fugitive slaves in need of forgiveness. And the power of the gospel was unleashed in his life, just like it was for Paul, just like it was for Philemon. This letter is about the power of the gospel, and it's not just for them. It's for us as well. And maybe you identify more with Paul. Maybe you feel pretty religious, you know, compared to other people. Eh, you're doing pretty good. Maybe you're more like Onesimus. <laughs> maybe you've made some poor choices in your life. Or maybe because of life circumstances, it's just knocked you down and you feel worthless. Or maybe you're more like Philemon. Things have gone well. You've prospered. Got a nice house. Nice stuff. But you know what? It's the same for all of us. We need Jesus. And he's the one who gives us a fresh start. A new life. A meaningful life. Through faith in him, the power of God can be unleashed in your life, just like in these three. What is a thing of beauty to you? Maybe, maybe you're a sports fan, and so seeing a play just carried out beautifully is, is just like a thing of beauty. And unfortunately, if you're an Iowa football fan, yesterday that didn't happen, right? You probably didn't ever say that was a thing of beauty. But if you're a tennis fan, if you're a tennis fan and you're watching the U.S. Open, like I play tennis, you watch U.S. Open this week, you saw probably a lot of things. Alcaraz, maybe you were watching the match. He's in the finals today, by the way. But he was, he was in a match where the, the, his opponent had him on the run. He was running this way. The guy hit it behind him. He swings his racket behind his back. 
hits the ball, it goes over, and he wins the point with the subsequent shot. But it was like unbelievable. The crowd erupts. But you know when heaven erupts? It's when a sinner comes to the foot of the cross. That's what God sees as a thing of beauty. And someone who is in their sin now becomes clean. The righteousness of Christ applied to their life. Where God now sees them in Jesus as a child of God. That is a thing of beauty. Number two, a beautiful picture of the glory of the gospel. And what I believe is the glory of the gospel is, is captured in this idea of substitution. Substitution that Christ was our substitute. That Christ took our place on the cross. That Christ took our sins. That Christ took our penalty. That he took our death. That he experienced God's wrath for me. And then he offers me his righteousness. I mean, that is the, the glory of the gospel. But then Jesus says, I want you to be my hands and feet. In a sense, we are, as his followers, his substitute, his representatives now here on earth. And Jesus said, greater things will happen in your life as your spirit works in you. And throughout this letter, we get this idea of substitution. Paul says, I am sending him who is my very heart to you. Treat him as if he's me. That's how you're to treat him. Just because, I mean, he has been here serving me instead of you, actually. He was your substitute, even though you didn't even know it. But now I want you to treat him, to welcome him as you would welcome me. And there's a beautiful play on his name here. His name means useful. So Paul writes, he was once not very useful to you, especially as he took your stuff and left. But now he has become useful. Not only to you, but to me. Not only as your slave, but as your brother in Christ. And on the other half of the substitution is that Paul offers to pay Onesimus' debt. He says, whatever he's wronged you, I will pay it for him. I mean, what a beautiful picture. Paul, who had experienced the debt that he had before Christ and it being paid by Jesus, now being willing to pay someone else's debt. Coming alongside of someone in their moment of vulnerability in their burden. In the movie The Color Purple, which was a number of years ago, the character Sophie spent several years unjustly incarcerated for a minor offense. And when she got out, she was a broken woman. I mean, she was just almost paralyzed. And she was given a, a, a shopping list to fill callously by her, her, her mistress just to go do. And, and she's standing in the grocery store in front of the counter just kind of paralyzed. I'm not sure if she, you know, had trouble reading or just couldn't, you know, this whole grocery store thing was, was just a challenge to her. 
Well, the lead character, Celie, a woman who had also endured great pain, sees Sophie in the grocery store struggling. And so she quietly comes alongside of her, takes the list, and does her shopping for her. Months later, when Sophie begins to awaken from her deep trouble, she says, I want to thank you, Miss Celie, for everything you've done for me. I remember that day in the store, I was feeling really down. I was feeling mighty bad. And when I seize you, I know there is a God. I know there is a God. Sometimes as followers of Jesus, Jesus asks us to do things on behalf of others, to come alongside of them, to represent Jesus to them. When we serve in Jesus' name, Jesus says when you give a, a glass of water to someone in need, it's like you're serving me. On one hand, you're serving me, but also you are representing me to those who are struggling, to those who are challenged. You know, Onesimus could have gone back and he could have robbed Philemon again. There was a lot of risk here. But Paul knew that Jesus took a risk for him. He took a chance. What is a thing of beauty? Maybe for some of you who are, who are engineers, uh, I started being a, a chaplain at, for Marketplace Chaplains, and, and I go to Simmons, the pet food place, right? And so this week, I was, you know, kind of walking around and uh, went and visited with the, the, the lady who was running the labeling machine. And, you know, this is the thing that, the, you know, the cans come and they spin around and it puts glues on them, then it puts the, the, the label on them and, you know, shoots it out. And let me tell you, when this thing is humming, I mean, it is a thing of beauty. I mean, she got to the point where she, you can't really see if there's a problem. you got to actually hear it because these things are flying so by. They can do like 900 cans in a minute. It was just whizzing by. And those engineers of you will probably thought, yeah, that is a thing of beauty. But what God sees as a thing of beauty was his children are willing to come alongside of those who are struggling, those who are hurting, and represent Jesus. Display the glory of the gospel in their midst. There are so many people in our lives that are hurting who need a touch from Jesus through you. The third theme here is the beautiful picture, I say, of the cost of the gospel. Because on one hand, the salvation is free to us. You cannot earn it. You cannot pay for it. You cannot deserve it. Paul writes, it is a gift of God by His grace to be received through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We all stand at the foot of the cross as sinners, empty-handed. But Jesus offers it. It is free to us, but it cost Jesus everything. So on one hand, it's free. On the other hand, it can be costly. There are some times when we choose to follow Christ that according to the world, it can be costly. 
You see, some people are rejected by their families because they become Christians. Sometimes your friends may reject you because you're used to doing certain things with them and, and you don't longer want to do those things. Maybe they aren't healthy. Maybe they aren't right. So they'll look at you and say, what do you think you are? You think you're better than us? You think you're goody two-shoes? Those will be hard times because these are people you like. But now you're following Christ. Your allegiance is to Him. Some people in some cultures that are very anti-Christian, they lose their jobs, lose their businesses, are thrown into prison. Some even lose their lives. Sometimes Jesus asks us to do some pretty hard things as his followers. And we might think, oh, this is pretty costly. See, Paul asked Onesimus to go back to Philemon. You know, you want me to do what? But following Jesus means doing the right things. And sometimes it means going back and making things right with people we've wronged. So just because Onesimus was forgiven by Jesus didn't mean he didn't need to go back and make things right with Philemon. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that if you're worshiping God, you're presenting your gifts to him, and you remember someone that you wronged, put your gift down, go make it right, and then come back and offer your gift. You see, there was no guarantee about how Philemon would respond, but that didn't matter. He needed to do the right thing. That's part of the idea of repentance. You see, Paul was willing to do a costly thing. He was willing to pay someone's debt. It's not like Paul had a lot of money. He wasn't working. He was in prison. But he was willing to pay that, to come alongside a brother Obedience to Christ. Sometimes Jesus asks us to let go of things of earthly value to follow him. Paul asked Philemon to do a costly thing. Forgiveness is always costly. You know, sometimes it's nice to be able to hold that thing against someone, right? We've got that to hold against them. But Jesus says, let it go. Forgive. It's sin grace. Treat them not because of what they've done in the past, but treat them based on who, hopefully what God can do in them and who He can make them be in the future. Forgiveness. Extend grace just like Jesus did to you. He does not ask Philemon to free him, but to forgive him. But he does ask him to consider that maybe for this very purpose, <laughs> Onesimus left so that he could come back to you, so that God could do a work in his life, and now he comes back to you as a brother in Christ. Because God can often be found redeeming our sinful choices and working in the midst of that for his purpose and for his plan. Maybe that's right where you're at now, <laughs> in the midst of some bad choices, and God is wanting to come in and redeem them. What did Philemon do? We're not sure. 
I mean, it would be nice to have a little postscript in the Bible. (laughs) This is what Philemon did, and this is the rest of the story, right? But we do have a hint, maybe. The church father named Ignatius wrote 50 years later a letter to the church in Ephesus and to their pastor, and his name was Onesimus. And in that letter, Onesimus refers to the one who was formerly useless to you, but now has become boastful, useful both to me and to you. Sound familiar? Almost the same phrase, that, the same Greek phrase that Paul uses. I mean, what a powerful testimony that would have been to both slaves and masters alike to see Philemon and Onesimus reunited now as brothers in Christ and how that impacted their relationship. Is Jesus asking you to do a hard thing? Maybe there's been something a little bit costly in your life. Two truths. First of all, Jesus will always give you grace to obey. He'll always give you the strength and the grace that you need to follow him and obey. And secondly, in the end, that costly thing really won't seem very costly compared to the blessing of following Christ and what that has meant to you And to those around you, it won't seem very costly. What is a thing of beauty? Maybe for those of you who are more musical, you know, hearing someone sing a beautiful song. Or maybe play an instrument beautifully. Or maybe you've watched a scene where the acting was so wonderful, it brought you to tears. You know the scene that brings God to tears? A beautiful thing is when His followers are willing to make those costly choices to show that Jesus is more important than anything in their life. God says, that's a beautiful thing. And lastly, a beautiful picture of the partnership of the gospel. You know, God called Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles, but he was far from a one-man band. I mean, it was not just Paul ever. I mean, oozing throughout this letter, he says, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, your love for the saints, your partnership with us, you've encouraged the hearts of the saints. Onesimus, who was useful to me, he was helpful to me on your behalf. If you consider me a partner, Mark, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, it was all of them. And that's the beauty When God brings people from all walks of life, impacts their life, and joins them together in partnership for the gospel. That's what what the church is all about. I mean, we come from all walks of life. Some of you I probably would never know, never even have met if it weren't for Hope Church. But God touches our lives, brings us here together to be partners for the gospel. I mean, what a beautiful picture that is. 
In Ephesians 4, Paul says, the whole body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And the question is, what is your work? What is your part of the partnership? Have you gotten to the point of your walk with Christ you need to wrestle with that. You need to discover that. Jesus is inviting you to be part of what he's doing and wants to use you in a very unique and special way. You know, you may feel like Onesimus. You may feel like, how can God use me? He can. He does a miracle in all of our lives. And Paul says he begins to create in us a masterpiece. He gives us His grace. He gives us gifting. He, he uses experiences in our life to teach us and to mold us, to put us in a position to be used by Him in partnership with others. That is a thing of beauty for God. When Jesus is anticipating the church and the arrival, Paul says in Ephesians 5, it's the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. And what groom has not looked down that aisle when she's coming and say, what a thing of beauty. That's what God wants to do among us. So what's your takeaway? from the book of Philemon. Maybe, maybe you're, you know, at the first step. Maybe you're here and you need to experience the power of, of the gospel in your life. And you need to know that what Jesus did, it's for you. It's not for everybody else. It's for you. What Jesus did is for you. Maybe you're at that second step where you've discovered that truth and you begin to walk with him and, and you realize that he, he wants you to come alongside of people, to come alongside like, like Philemon was an encouragement to so many, maybe to encourage, to bless, to carry someone's burden, to display the beauty of the gospel as you represent Jesus. Maybe for some of you, you're... You're at a tough choice right now. You've sensed God's call on your life in an act of obedience or of, of following him, but you're wrestling with that. You know, I understand. Some choices are hard, but God will give you the grace to do it. And in the end, it won't seem very costly. Maybe for some of you, it's this idea of being in partnership and you need to begin to really take seriously what is your role here? How can you be a partner here of what God is doing among us? That he can use you in a very powerful way. Just like he used Paul. 